Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado, and with me is our Beat writer Carter Baines. Carter, how are you, first and foremost? Uh, gearing up for finals week next week. So uh, it seems like every week has been busy down here, but uh, this is just another one of them where uh, I don't get as much sleep as I want. And then, you know, I, I got a lot going on. But uh, I mean, football's, football's done. So that opens up a little time in the schedule. But uh, no, definitely kind of worn down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Because you were, I mean, past couple of weeks it's been double duty with football and basketball going um mm-hmm. so now you've got kind of and then basketball doesn't play again until next saturday so you got time right. to kind of just focus on school for a little bit and you came home we actually taped the podcast last week here at my house um you're back down at school now let's just talk civil war dive right in um i, I know i didn't see jebia starting I, that was completely off my radar how about you yeah i had no indication whatsoever that uh Luton was injured. You know, Smith never mentioned it in his uh, Monday press conference after the Washington State game. Uh, he didn't mention it later in the week when he met with the media. So uh, really, that was just a game time thing. And, uh, you know, obviously, Coach Smith has been kind of tight with injury updates throughout his two years here. And um, I think maybe sometimes he gets a little bit of flack for it because, you know, there's not a whole lot of transparency. But I think in this situation, um, you know, I, I don't blame him at all for keeping that one uh, kind of under wraps because not only did it surprise us, I think it surprised Oregon. And yeah. maybe that played a little bit into uh, Jebby's success. Yeah, I thought, I, you know, for his first game, that's a tough place to go in and play. Um, I, I thought he played really well. How about you? Yeah, I mean, he, he, in my opinion, outplayed Herbert by quite a bit. And that's saying a lot, especially... You know, Herbert's got his whole senior day thing, and and Jebby's going into his first collegiate start against a premier defense in the country in a hostile environment in the Civil War. I mean, he was really thrown to the wolves there, and uh, to play the way he did, I don't have his stats pulled up at the moment, but I I know he was over about 60% completion. Uh, I think he only took the one sack, and his mobility was what really caught my eye, was just his ability to evade sacks, and when he did go down, he managed to get, you know, maybe a yard or two uh, positive and, and not backwards, whereas we'd see Luton lose maybe five to 10 yards on a sack. Yeah, he was 26 of 40, 243 yards, and was sacked once. So, um, yeah, very solid. That's pretty outing. solid. And, and so looking ahead, I, I, I mean, this is later on in the pod, too, but I, I think it's just timely to talk about, you know, Beaver fans talking about, you know, losing Luton next season. But Luton has the bigger arm. But I love what Jebbia brings in his mobility. I just, I think overall that, that gives you, I mean, he's not um, some, you know, Tyler Huntley runner, but he gives you enough mobility that when the pocket breaks down, he can make something happen. So um, what do you, you know, your thoughts on that going forward? Oh, exactly. And I think we saw it in the Civil War, what that element adds. You have a guy who can make throws on the run. Um, you know, we saw Luton do a little bit of that this year, but nothing to the extent of what Je- Jebbia will be able to do. Um, I-, I mentioned 
I, I think this is something that maybe goes overlooked sometimes when you have a pocket passer versus more of a, I don't want to call Jebby a dual threat, but maybe a little more mobile, is the sack yardage. A lot of times we'll see uh, Luton take, I don't know, five to six step drops and then he retreats and then gets From sacked that, for exactly. it, it's a loss of 10 to 15 yards and it's like it just kills the entire drive whereas Jebbia um, he'll have more of a tendency to step up into the pocket maybe move a little laterally so he's not going backwards at all and uh, if if he gets sacked it's probably no more than a five yard loss and sometimes uh, you know, it just turns into like a, a one or two yard gain instead of negative yardage. Yeah, I, I have the stats in front of me. So he uh, ran seven times, gained 32, lost seven, so net 25. Um, his longest was 15. So, I mean, it's better than than going completely negative. Yeah, absolutely. So what your biggest takeaway from Civil War? It was a loss, yes, but um, did you walk away with a positive feeling? You know, it was it was really interesting. I After the game, I said... I have more optimism towards next season than I have disappointment that Oregon State lost the Civil War. Normally, you know, we get blown out in the Civil War or it's a, a close game and it's just so demoralizing to lose that it's just like, eh, nobody talked to me. But I, I was so motivated that I wrote, I wrote two stories after the game. <laughs> I was did. Like, you know, I, I just, there's a lot of optimism right now. I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be really positive moving forward. And I, I was really motivated to talk about it and um, analyze what happened just because it was the closest Civil War we'd seen in three years. Um, it kind of wrapped up a season of just overall improvement on both sides of the ball. And um, I, I think we saw a lot of really, really good things. Um, and it was a bit surprising to me, actually, that they played so well against Oregon. But yeah, I, I mean, was I'll take surprised it. with the secondary. You know, you and I talked last week and that was the area that that was my, my biggest concern. It had been my biggest concern um, along with special teams all season. You know, you and I talked about that back in August. Um, I, I just felt that Oregon could probably, you know, torch the secondary. And hands down, this was the best secondary performance I've seen all season. By far. Totally shut down Herbert. Uh, we know that wide receiver group is really talented. They have had their injuries there in Eugene. But uh, for the secondary to go out and and really just kind of take the passing game out of it for a large part of the game was was really impressive. And I think that showed up on third downs, too. Yes. You know, Oregon State's defense has had a really tough time getting teams off the field on third down. And Oregon was, I mean, they would, they would get the ball at midfield or somewhere in Oregon State's half of the field, and they'd get no points because Oregon State would just, you know, get them off the field in three and outs and, and stuff like that. So... A lot of that does come back to the secondary and just the fact that they were taking away everything downfield. Yeah, and that, that I think is something that needs to be pointed out. Now, this game watching it, I never, Oregon State was in it, right? They were in it, but I never felt that they, you know, till the very end, I, I thought, you know, I, I felt Oregon kind of outplayed them in, in a lot of ways. But then again, you, you take Herbert and, I mean, we had to listen to the Pac-12 network gush about Herbert and nothing mm -hmm. against the kid, but... um I mean, it was like the Justin Herbert love fest that we had to listen to. And I really thought, you know, when you when you step back and look at the entire body of work, what Oregon State was able to do. Yes, the offense sputtered at times, but give credit to Oregon's defense. It's one of the, it's a top 20 defense in the country. So um, they played better against that defense than we've seen them play against other top defenses. But what that like you said, Oregon had a short field a lot of the night, a lot of the afternoon. 
and for Oregon State to, you know, hold Herbert to, he was 18 of 30 passing for 174 yards. He had one TD and two sacks. So um, definitely not uh, something you expect out of a, you know, four-year starter Heisman, at one point Heisman contender. So, um, yes, defense played out yeah, of their minds, com- I guess. Complete, the- completely, completely agree. Um, going back to the Herbert thing, I, I think it just kind of, solidifies the argument that we brought up last week going into the civil war um about just like i don't know all of the hype around him seems to maybe um we've said this for a while that we don't think that he performs up to his hype and i think maybe that's kind of starting to be recognized a little bit um just with the fact that he's really tailed off uh, as as this season has progressed and you know that i don't want to take anything away from what Oregon State did because it takes a pretty good defense to shut down a guy like that. But I just think it's interesting that he's kind of tailing off here at the end of his Oregon career. And I'm honestly really interested to see where he ends up in the draft. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Because typically you'd see a fifth year senior like that, take a team and carry him on the, on their back. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not. And, and I'm anxious to see what happens Friday in the PAC 12 championship mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow night. So, um, I mean, I, I know my prediction is that Utah runs away with it. Oh, I um, agree. I, I, just, I just think Utah is such a good team, top to bottom, both sides of the ball, special teams. Uh, they're just solid. So before we go further, I want to just give a quick plug to a really awesome promotion that we're running right now at, at Beaver Blitz. If you're not a member or if you are a month-to-month member, now's the time. You can upgrade your subscription or sign up for a new annual subscription for 50% off. Super awesome deal. Jump on it. It expires, I believe, uh, Monday this coming Monday. So you have a little bit of time, but definitely jump on, on that, save yourself some money and that gets you another whole football season and recruiting and baseball and basketball, everything. So um, definitely get on, on board with that. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can do it via social media or uh, at uh, Beaver Blitz, but uh, Carter, going back to football, what is your biggest surprise this year? I think there were a lot, and really on both sides of the ball, but um, to me, I think the biggest improvement that a lot of people took for granted or maybe didn't realize how stark it was, was just the play of the linebackers. Uh, I I look specifically at the tackle for loss totals. Last year, Oregon State was like one of the bottom 10 teams, I think, in the country in in tackles for loss. This year, they led the Pac-12. Hamaker Rashid led the nation in, in uh, tackles for loss, second in sacks. I mean, the improvement there was incredible. And we knew this group was really talented and we knew that, you know, they were young last year and they were developing and they had some really talented guys that would kind of uh, come into their own a little bit. I don't think we realized that they were going to be this good. And a lot of that is the scheme, pretty aggressive. I mean, Oregon State blitzed more than just about any team in the conference, but it's because they had the weapons to do it. Yeah. Um, not only, not only Rashid, but you look at a guy like Avery Roberts, who's just everywhere on the field. Um, Addison gums before he went down with injury, you know, he's going to be a huge playmaker next year. Um, Omar. Omar. Spates, uh, yeah. Omar. True freshman totally coming in and, and freshman all American. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. And I think he's going to have a really special career at Oregon state uh, over the next couple of years. And then um, even John McCartan, uh, when when Addison Gums went down with that injury, he kind of saw an increase in playing time, and 
I thought he really did some good things as well this year. So the linebacker group, to me, uh, was the most impressive just comparing last year to this year. Yeah, and it brings up a point because, you know, at the beginning of the season, I know there were lots of Beaver fans that were questioning Coach Tibisar, um, who is not only the defensive coordinator, but the outside linebackers coach as well. Um, it was interesting. So I, I have a, a source um, that I talk to often about football, big football fan, uh, former coach, knows his stuff. Um, and he was telling me how he spoke to a former NFL player about Oregon State earlier in the season. And they were talking about the defense. And this, this NFL player kind of laughed at the notion of, of changing a, a coaching staff that early. You know, he said, in the NFL, whenever you get a, especially a new coordinator, you need to give them three years. The first year, it's installing their terminology, their system, their scheme. And it takes a while. Second year, you expect improvement, but the, the players are still kind of acclimating to that. By the third year is when you should start to see mastery of that. So, um I think, and I think it kind of played out this year for Oregon State. The defense, you know, the the defense we saw against Oklahoma State or early in the se- Hawaii changed so much and improved so much just in a year. So I think it's exciting to think one more year in the system what these players will be able to do. Yeah, the the contrast in where this team was, um, you know, game one of year one under this coaching staff to where they were game 12 of year two, just incredible. Incredible. And, and a lot of that improvement did happen over last off season, you know, from year one to year two, but mm-hmm. there was so much. I, and I mean, it was visible just how much better they got throughout the course of this season, which I think is even more impressive because yeah. to me, that says that this staff and these players are willing to um, maybe adjust based on the opponent and you know recognize that hey this didn't work against this kind of uh, offense or this didn't work against this style of defense we're going to change that moving forward and look at what that does in a game like the civil war when you know oregon state's defense opens the year giving up 50 plus points to oklahoma state they hold oregon to really defensively two touchdowns yeah 17 points so no it was um yeah night and day difference and yeah if you go back to last year like a totally different team. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I, this is going to be a feature that we're going to run on Beaver Blitz next week. But um, give us, if you have any, um, I want to know if you were to pick a player of the year, offense, defense, who would it be? Off the so, top of your head. I know you'll probably get this a little more thought before you we, we put it to paper, but just want to hear kind of your off the cuff. Yeah, there are a couple you could look to on offense. Um, it probably comes down to Luton or Hodgins. I would go with Hodgins just because we haven't seen this kind of year from a receiver at Oregon State in in quite some time. Maybe go back to Brandon Cooks, I think, was probably the last time we saw a, a receiver of this caliber come through. And, uh, I mean, he single-handedly put the offense on his back and and led them to a couple wins. You know, I look at the games where he had two or three touchdowns, um, and it, it's like he was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that would be my pick there for offense. Defense? I think it has to be Hamica. Uh, just what he was able to do on, on the national scale in terms of getting into the backfield and and uh, really making an impact on every single game up until he was injured and played with that club against Washington State and uh, Oregon. He he had this streak of tackle for loss in every game. I, I don't know if he had a sack in every game, but it was, it was definitely close to it. Yeah, close um, to. So just the impact that he was able to have on the game, I think, by far made him the best player on the defense. 
And then special teams, I would go to Daniel Rodriguez uh, at, at punter. And, you know, as much as we would like to have a returner who's a threat to you know, take a kickback for a touchdown and look at him as the MVP of that group, Daniel, Rod- Daniel Rodriguez really made an impact on the game just in his ability to flip field position. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, fans don't necessarily always recognize unless it goes negatively for your team. But it was noticeable this year just how many times, especially early in the year, um, maybe like the first half of the season, just how many times opponents started with the ball inside their own 20-yard line. Mm-hmm. And that really helped the uh, the defense take strides as well because it's a lot easier to stop a team from going 80 yards than it is 60. So switching gears into Hodgins, were you surprised by him announcing that he was uh, declaring for the draft? No, not at all. I, I think this was part of the plan all along, and um, I just don't know that he had a whole lot more left to prove, you know. And I think next year he probably would have faced a little more double or triple coverage like he did in the Civil War. Um, you know, maybe maybe the chemistry between he and Jebia doesn't line up the same way as it did with Luton and his numbers decline. I don't know, but I, I just think he went on a, went out on a really high note, and while this draft class is loaded and I'm not sure where he'll end up, I think he does have the skills to um, find a contributing role on an NFL team at some point in his career. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I you know, I really kind of dug in. I mean, this has been the plan. I think all along, this was his goal to, to have a, a great season that he could leave early and, and go to the draft. You know, I, I look at him. I mean, he's an, a, if you watch him run routes, it's beautiful. The guy runs, mm-hmm. he's, the most precision he'll do, you know, make some double pumps. I mean, he's just, he, he runs impeccable routes. He can get open and he can make crazy catches. The only, I think, knock on him would be a speed. And that's not going to improve that much if he comes back a year. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's, he's fast enough. He's just not a burner. So um, that's where his running precision routes comes in. And, you know, I, I could see him having a long career in the NFL. So with him leaving, is, is he the toughest player to replace for the Beavers this year? Or do you have a different player in mind as far as replacing one of the departing guys? Uh, interesting question, just because I think the receiver group is so loaded moving forward that, you know, while he was by far the leader of the offense, um, I think maybe there could be some development there of other players. We, Trevon Bradford will be back next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we see take, maybe we see Tajon Lindsay take a step forward. Uh, maybe Champ gets a little more involved in the offense. So I think they have the the guys in the group to maybe pick up the slack a little bit more. If I was to say there was a guy that's going to be really really hard to replace, I go to the secondary and I look at Jalen Moore. Okay. And I know I know he didn't have the best season this year statistically and and whatever. He was battling injuries for you know, the first, I don't know how many games of the year, but first, you know, half of the season, we'll say. Um, but that's a, a veteran leader in your position group that struggled the most that you're not going to have next year. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if that'll contribute to the production of that group at all, but it just, it, it can't be emphasized enough how much of an impact having a, a senior leader like that in a group full of true freshmen and and juco transfers just how important it is to have a guy like that to kind of lead them and um and and we know what he's capable of in terms of leading the team in tackles and whatnot 
Yeah, he's he's just I mean, great choice. Just and just an overall great guy. Like you said, I think what really stands out to me about JMO is just his leadership. Just he's a solid stand up guy. I mean, here's a guy who comes up to me after last year, um, after the season, came knocked on the media door to come, have me come out and talk to him and gave me a hug and said, thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. covering covering us. And and thank you for putting the time in. And I mean, just a, a good guy, a good person. Um, my pick for the toughest place is going to be Blake Brandell. I just three and a half years starting or four years starting the guy really um, became one of the top left tackles in the conference. So um, I mm-hmm. think that's not that it, it can't be done, but just that experience up front um, is, is tough to replace right, you know, instantly. But um, I think both those guys um, are, are solid choices. So what are the beavers doing now? The beeves are actually, um, I know Carter, we're going to get you into recruiting yet. I promise. Right. Um, <laughs> um, the, the beeves are on the road. Coach Smith is on a private jet right now. As we speak, um, I think he's heading to Tracy um, to see Trevor Pope commit. He's been all over the country already this week. He left Sunday, uh, flew down to Texas to see Zariah Beeson, then flew up to uh, Virginia, Maryland area to gain a commitment uh, from Jonathan Riley, a JUCO safety. So uh, did that, came back across the country, um, met with Chance Nolan and his family. He is the junior college quarterback at a Saddleback. Um, So we had an in-home visit with him. And then Chance is actually visiting this weekend. So um, Coach uh, Smith has definitely been busy. Um, I know Beaver fans will be happy to hear that Yes, he is using a private a private plane, so um, you know they're able to cover a lot of ground uh, very quickly doing it that way. Um, and I, I know Scott Barnes has, you know, dedicated more money toward you know private jet for Coach for, for Coach Smith. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. There's a lot of local um, commits coming in: uh, Junior Walling, John Miller. Lots of official visits this weekend from those guys, the committed, more local players, along with then Chance Nolan and Taliese Fuaga, an offensive lineman from Washington State. So um, those are right now the official visitors coming in. So we have updates on all those guys right now at Beaver Blitz. So if you want to catch up and get a a preview of of what they're looking for, uh, it's up and ready to go. And then signing day. It used to be signing day was that first February and December or in January or February when everything was crazy busy. And that early signing period now has really kind of changed things. I expect this class to be mostly full by December 18th when this class signs. One question we had in the lodge earlier was, do we expect most of these guys to sign? And the answer is yes. The commits will be planning to sign on December 18th. And that really frees up then that February signing day is more of the preferred walk-ons and, and some of those guys. So um, exciting times, though, altogether. We are starting to work on our, our uh, signing day coverage. Both Amy Schwartz and I are getting things lined up for that. So um, if you enjoy recruiting the next couple of weeks, it's going to be really exciting and, and fun. But another thing's going on right now, too, now that the season's kind of wrapping up and we're getting into bowl season, it's the coaching carousel. Carter, have you been following all the, the craziness going on? Of course. It's one oh of my, my favorite gosh. off-season storylines. It's just <laughs> all of the drama that goes on with, oh my gosh. Uh, with head coaches well, leaving and, the, and coordinators. The craziest, the, the craziest to me, and we didn't even talk about this, it wasn't on our list, but Coach Peterson stepping down at Washington. 
that yeah. came out of left field, in my opinion. Yeah, I did not see that one coming whatsoever. And I, I've heard a little bit of, of rumblings coming from Washington fans and people who co- cover the team saying, you know, maybe there were some hints at this uh, along the way that he was getting kind of tired and needed a break. But I, I, I would be really surprised if anybody saw this one coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you have, I, I saw this morning that Coach Leach, who had been kind of rumored at couple different places already signed an extension at Washington state. So it looks like he's staying put up in the Palouse clay. And that's, that's big for them by the way, because for them, because the rumors were that, you know, he can have any of the the job openings he wants. And and the the SEC is, yeah, the SEC is going after him. And, you know, if he moves to the ACC, he can compete right away against Clemson. So definitely, definitely uh, big for Washington State to retain him because we know what he's been able to do there uh, in Pullman. And then Clay Helton is retained at USC. Did, did that surprise you? You know, it didn't surprise me. As I don't know, I just feel bad for USC for the for the for the fans, um, for anybody who who follows the team and just is so frustrated with Helton and and their administration. Um, I mean, they seriously thought they were going to get Urban Meyer. (laughs) They thought they were going to get Urban Meyer. So if you you want some fun, so Carter was telling me, um, you know, when you're a member of Beaver Blitz and you're a VIP member, you actually can go check out other sites on the 24-7 network. So if you want fun, I've heard this now from two people, Carter and uh, one of our our board members, go check out the Peristyle. First of all, Ryan Abraham does the best job, him and his team do the best job covering USC of anyone. But... um, I, I've heard it, it's quite the show right now if you head over to their premium message board and, and check out what's going on over there. Uh, to say that people are unhappy with this, this uh, decision to retain Helton would be quite the understatement. The there's, understatement of the century. There, there's not only a bickering going on between uh, fans and their administration. There's fan, there's bickering going on between uh, fans in in their message boards that is there for everyone to see and it's just I mean it is entertaining and <laughs> it is I'll say not the best time to be a USC fan no it's I don't mind clay I, I think USC fans sometimes get a little myopic too and thinking that you know that they can go back to being completely dominant and I think things have kind of changed a little bit the other news that directly affects Oregon State is the fact that Brian Lindgren is a candidate for the open OC job at ASU I don't see him going do you no I have a hard time picturing him leaving uh, especially this early on yeah. uh, and considering it would be a lateral move to within the conference I don't know I mean Nate Yeski did it in baseball moving to Arizona but I, but I he also think, got passed over for the head coaching job. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of, of a different situation there. So a lateral move, uh, I just don't see it. So uh, Nick Daschle actually had a report yesterday that he, you know, he spoke to Scott Barnes and Scott Barnes is looking to rework Coach Smith's contract, uh, is getting some money freed up to um, for him, for his assistance pool to give the assistance some raises. I think this is all kind of direct in line so Coach Smith can keep these guys because you need the continuity. I mean, that's what Oregon state needs more than anything right now is continuity within the coaching staff. I just, I don't see Lindgren taking a, a lateral move for that. Um, but like I said, stranger things have happened in the, in the world of coaching searches. But um, I went over to the ASU site, Sun Devil source, and they're very, very complimentary of Lindgren. Lindgren, those ASU fans saw what, you know, 
what Oregon State has been able to do offensively the past two years and very, very complimentary. It's, it's, it's funny though, right? Because Lindgren at Colorado, he was basically getting run out of town before he came mm-hmm. to Oregon State. And now all of a sudden he's got Oregon State, got a hot hand and, um, you know, this, these coaches, it's one minute they, they everyone loves them and the next minute it's uh, kick them to the curb. So, um, and that's, that's what happens when you have the second best offensive season in school history. Yes, exactly. You know, and so, um, but good for Lindgren, if he can, if he can leverage this and, and get himself a raise, like I said, they have to, they have to strike when the iron's hot because it, it only takes one bad year for everyone to want you out of town. So, mm-hmm. um, it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I know you're all over it. That was the first thing we started talking about when I, when I called you up today was this coaching carousel and, um, it's, it's never for the faint of heart as, as with recruiting, both, both can get a little heated and you think one thing's locked up and then things go the other direction, but, um, definitely fun. Also, before I forget, we're not doing quick hits today, but you were seven of 10 last week on civil war. Pretty good way to end the season. I think, uh, that's a, yeah, sweet I've way bounced to end back the a little bit from a mid season slump with the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So, so good job there. I don't have the total with on hand right now, but we can talk about that next time. Um, and then a couple things, I guess, just it's not like it's a big surprise, but Key Wetzel, Isaiah Smalls, and Omar Hicks Onu have all entered the transfer portal officially. So um, I actually thought they'd entered it a long time ago, but I guess they just officially entered it. So um, they are on the market. Hopefully they find a, a good home to land. Signing day is coming up on December 18th. So, um, be prepared. We'll be talking lots of recruiting and the lodge has been a really fun place the past uh, week or two. I don't know if you've been in a lot Carter with, with finals and things coming up, but, um, lots of really good conversations. We welcome a ton of new members over the, the past week. So, um, lots of new voices coming into the lodge. So it's been a really fun place to hang out. Yeah. This is the most active I've seen it in my, I don't know, year and a half, uh, at, at Beaver Blitz. So, uh, it's it's exciting to see the fan support right now. I think everybody's really excited about where the program's heading, and it's it's showing up. And there's a lot of really fun conversations going on. There are, and and like I said, you you know you have basketball coverage. JP is back with our women's basketball coverage with JP's weekly buzzer beater. But uh, our baseball will be starting here again. Um, gosh, in February, so we're not too far off of that. And just my time is really spent with recruiting right now with football recruiting. Um, keeping tabs on what's going on and, and getting ready for signing day again on December 18th. We will be, gosh, Oregon State's going to be signing some East Coast kids. So I'll be up super early that morning, um, bringing you the very latest. But uh, in the meantime, stick with beaverblitz.com for all the latest. And Carter and I'll be back next week for another episode of the Dan Podcast.